0: Mm -hmm. Darmstadt on air number 12, Talking in the Now Now, Kathy Millican in conversation with Lisa Lim. Hello and thank you for joining Darmstadt On Air, our series of conversations on music and experiment. My name is Thomas Schäfer from the Darmstadt team and I welcome you to the 12th edition of our podcast. What is happening now? Imagine, if now means not now, but sometimes in the near future, possibly happening soon, now now means right now. So that's what Kathy Milliken and Lisa Lim want to discuss in their conversation for Darmstadt on Air the plural now, the multiple formations of time, the contemporary resonances of distant times, and a compelling intensification of times and languages, of course, also in a metaphoric way. Kathy and Lisa know each other for quite a long time. They appreciate each other's work, and they also met in Darmstadt 2018, when both were tutors for composition. Both artists are very much interested in collaborative practices and understand composing as a process of working with and being influenced by musicians, contexts, spaces and presences. For our Darmstadt on Air series, they met online on 8 October 2020, Kathy starting her day in Berlin and Lisa beginning her evening in Melbourne. A conversation crossing different time zones, landing in the now-now. Please enjoy listening.
1: Hello, this is Cathy Milliken, and I am talking to Lisa Lim. Lisa is in Melbourne, and I'm in Berlin. It's a Berlin morning and a Melbourne evening. So the restrictions are opening up in Melbourne, which is wonderful news. And I'll firstly say hello to Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Cathy. Great chat to you. It is indeed. So what we'll be talking about is what the Times are telling us and what is happening now for you. Um, I just have a little anecdote to start off with. During one of my projects in uh, South Africa, I learned that now meant sort of sometime in the future, possibly soon, but not sure of that. But now now means right now. So now we're talking to you and Lisa, I'm just wondering about your feeling about the now and the now now.
2: That's a great question, Kathy. There's actually a... a, a um festival in australia called now now which is about you know contemporary music improvised music but i think it's really interesting what what happens with language you know because language is trying to grasp at certain sorts of experiences and realities and so this idea of now now you know this intensification of the now i find really interesting um this kind of plural form of now in Bahasa Indonesia, the the duplication of words means that it's it's it becomes a plural. So what is this plural plural now? And I feel that um, in our times there is this kind of expansion. There is this kind of um, you know generative thing that's going on where we've got this multiple multiple times multiple experiences multiple kind of formations of times
1: and of course that's a really interesting thing as a composer so do you find that with this intensification i mean just now on this example of now now is your own language or even musical language is that sort of do you feel the intensification there
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the sense that time is not unidirectional, it's not a a sort of vector from one place to the other, but it's made up of all kinds of circulating forces, uh, is something that's really present in what I'm doing in in my
1: work. I know that as an extremely sensitive composer, as you are to what is going on in the world right now, I'm sure that there is a very considered response, which is... Yeah.
2: It's funny because actually my most recent works, you know, I've been writing this three-part orchestral cycle called The Annunciation Triptych, you know, which is kind of grand. Yeah, yeah. And the topics are really drawn from the distant past, but, you know, trying to find kind of really contemporary um, resonances for this... these stories I mean the works revolve around three figures three um, women um, leaders spiritual leaders I I consider them so they're Sappho Mary a religious figure Mm -hmm. and also Fatima Um, and one thing I'm kind of that I've surprised myself with is that I've been drawn to these you know these kind of iconic figures yes I get Sappho some Sappho is a poet I've returned to again and again and I know yes. she's a figure of of you know great um inspiration Fascination. yeah for oh, composers. Absolutely. yeah I think yeah, yeah. I think there's the way in which her poetry continues to resonate you know through yes. the centuries you know even when there's we're just left with these absolutely abject fragments, you know, the power of her work just
1: (laughs) grows and grows. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. They they leap out at you off the page. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I get that. This and and for me, Sappho in relation to this idea of annunciation, this announcement. know the connection for me there is this summoning power the summoning power of this creative energy from so long ago you know that just calls forth this sort of blazing (laughs) sort of creative response so that's something i i get in terms of of a creative project but mary what on earth am i doing with with a figure like that a christian icon um uh, that That is the subject of the second of the orchestral works, and the title of that work is Mary, Transcendence After Trauma, you know, and I've looked at all kinds of sources from Frangelico's, you know, fabulous um, frescoes depicting the angels speaking with Mary and, you know, mm. the these sort of renaissance chants you know (laughs) which celebrate the figure of Mary what on earth am I doing with this story um that that somehow has become very um very important and there are you know kind of resonances one can point to in terms of this subject of or this topic of consent yes around a woman and a woman's body all of that but I don't think it's it's really that's that's that for me is a kind of easy you know kind of contemporary resonance but for me it's not so much even that I think the composerly response for me is is a bit like the the response to Sappho this sense of this summoning power a sort of ecstatic this listening back
1: you know, <laughs> to this yeah. very mysterious story. Yeah, I'm. I'm just absolutely uh, delighted to hear you talk about this because I've been fascinated by the whole Annunciation for a long time and sort of followed, you know, all the various artists that have portrayed that. And it's always interesting for me to see the the idea of the summoning, the the idea of her receiving this tumultuous message, and the angel is always depicted as being extremely focused at putting this message across. And strangely and interestingly, she seems to be sort of reflecting on it, not quite as uh, excited as the angel. I, I, think the, I think it's the fact that it's actually a conversation, you
2: know. She, she hears and receives this message, but she responds, you know. She gives her assent. For me, that's an absolutely critical part the story, yes. you know, wouldn't be enough to say, oh, yes, she just, you know, receives this message and, and yes, of course, you know, she says, you know, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm the handmaiden, and, uh, which is a very problematic term, of course, in, in our yes. current time. But, yeah. you know, and, and that, you know, let your will be mine, all this kind of stuff. But there is this crack there for me that, that the story only works because of her agreement that she assents, that she consents. And so this, this kind of, you know, opening up for me is where that summoning power lies. And that's the thing that I've really reflected on in, um, in the orchestral work. It's this sense of these voices inside the orchestra that rise up and speak Something, <laughs> right? Um, which is yeah, but the thing I'm trying to work with in this yeah. uh, with this very problematic
1: story. <laughs> that's a, a wonderful interpretation because because it's always had a, a mystery for me. So that's very very interesting to hear. But beautiful transcendence after trauma. That's a wonderful title. For now, did you make that title since the, the outbreak of COVID? Or
2: no, no, no. It's it's not in relation to that. At all, um, it's but you know it, it is about some kind of journey of transformation. Um, it's it's kind of working with very different scales. On the one hand, it's a very intimate interior scale. It begins with this gesture, which is the the the, the leader of the orchestra, the first violins playing a um, spring drum by beating. <laughs> beating this drum against their body and for me that's this fetal heartbeat and and the work contains all these highly intimate you know kind of interior listening a very intimate theater of listening of to this heartbeat to this kind of amniotic song um and then from there, there's a sort of journey towards journey out into this roaring experience of hearing. So it's all about being inside the experience of hearing, both in, internalised in the body and then kind of being overwhelmed um, by, by other other forces. So it's, a, it's an wow. interesting take, I think,
1: on the Mary yes. story. The yeah. drum beating, you know, leads me to think of another piece that I've heard recently, twice actually, uh, is Atlas of the Sky. Is there something sort of elemental about drums for you at the moment or is that a longer preoccupation?
2: Yes, I mean, drums are, you know, magical instruments in a lot of cultures. You know, you have a skin of an animal, so, you know, you already have that contact with the the yeah. living, you know, the life force of materials. Uh, and yeah. percussion, of course, is is an area um, you know, where, where these instruments, these, these kind of magic objects, these power objects are, are very much present. And, and uh, I mean, I think about that in, in relation to all instruments. I, I do think musical instruments can absolutely, you know, act as these, these power objects as they do in, in multiple. Mm.
1: Be it the hair of a bow or the skin of a drum Yes, uh, I think that, that comes through a lot of your pieces, all of them, really, doesn't it? The physical. Yeah, that's
2: that sense that, that things are alive, that they have their own voices, that they have their own kinds of stories coming through them. Uh, I mean, I've always been absolutely um, fascinated by various sort of shamanic traditions, you know, where this sense that... Um, you know, things are the things are not just <laughs> inert materials, but you know they, they actually are vessels for different kinds of energies that can, can come through them. And that yeah. piece, yeah, At- Atlas of the Sky, is about these very simple types of materials you know very basic sound makers but also children's toys it's why that piece is sort of um, very accessible in terms of um, being crafted for non-specialist performers which is how we did it with speak percussion and jessica Azodi being the absolutely you know kind of high level professional performers but a group also of non-specialist community um, performers
1: um, drawn from all walks of life being involved in this piece. That was absolutely wonderful to appreciate too, the way that the non-specialist performers collaborated with you and the way that you then crafted this composition that, in which they became brilliant and in which their force as a group was just so apparent, and then of course there was the intensification in the voice of Jessica and in the voice of the speak percussion. You'd you'd mentioned voices before, talk, just before talking about drums, and then you came into voices. and I think with Atlas of the Sky, it is a voice piece in a way. Yeah, um, there's this
2: kind of vocality that comes through, you know, with the, with the different percussion instruments, and there's an aspect of ventriloquism there, and and that's a subject that I'm really. Uh, kind of, you know, absolutely wow. intrigued by, you know, this this idea that as as humans we want to project meaning, we want to project a kind of story or voice onto things. We seek out meaning and that was very much the subject of Atlas of the Sky. Um there're these texts dealing with the stars and how we project stories and our desires onto these kind of remote points of light and so it speaks very much about this this desire to connect this desire to kind of um join up you know and and make relationship to the world in different in different
1: ways um yeah sort of that's really exciting because for me now that we're talking about each of your pieces they all Mm -hmm. seem to interconnect and it's this thing of seeking meaning which I think is so extremely important and interesting today there's so much happening around us that is requiring us to look for new ways or solutions of uh, to deal with things and there's also this factor of, of of the seeming inevitable march towards our extinction if we're not careful which leads me of course to your other piece uh, extinction events and dawn chorus which is a piece about us and the environment is that how you would
2: describe it it has, yeah, that has many things in it. Actually, that has a has a kind of puppet play ventriloquism um, show in the middle of it. It's the fourth mm-hmm. movement, which is a, a duet between solo violin and a prepared snare drum, yes. uh, which is trying to be the violin and the violinist is trying to teach the snare drum to speak. So it's this kind of weird um, anthropocentric thing you know where again mm. we project so- certain kinds of behaviors onto these instruments and so mm. it, it kind of speaks quite abjectly to to the need for communication and also kind of failure of communication it's this, this quite melancholic pas de deux between these two mismatched <laughs> mismatched instruments um, yeah. but yeah that work extinction events it has it contains many different kinds of worlds. There's the voice of um, an extinct bird that's embedded in there. The Kawai bird is ghost bird and then mm. There are also the, the, a kind of transcription of um, the sounds of these Australian reef fish. That's amazing, the sounds of Australian reef fish. That, how extraordinary that you're bringing that out into the world. It's, and the question is, can we listen to what they're saying, you know, because one doesn't think of fish as making any sounds, but actually they do. They're incredibly vocal. Right. Right. And the dawn chorus at the end of the work is... A kind of replication of the the sounds of these fish at, who are very active at at Meish. dawn, and they point to a kind of um, an idea of of a world beyond human hearing beyond sort of human human kind of concerns and I suppose it's it, that part of the piece piece is is suggesting that as humans you know we, we do need to expand our listening um, and the world is not just for us. It is yeah. for, um, you know,
1: very many other creatures and, and things. Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it is a piece about the environment too because, I mean, there's, you know, there's a part where the players uh, are enveloped in plastic.
2: Yeah, it's trying to find somewhat ambiguous and abstract ways of, of, of talking about uh, certain issues in the world. I mean, I certainly don't want to be didactic, about it, and mm. and for me, art is this place where you know you can hold uh, intention, many sort of ambiguous uh, kinds of ideas and emotions yeah. and relationships. That's yes. its power, I think. I think to be sort of too direct is, is you know then you have the that's that's when things collapse in on themselves and and you lose resonance, whereas kind of opening up into a more complex set of possibilities is is where, for me, is, is, you know, kind of where Mm -hmm. resonance lies.
1: Yes. So what I observed also was that the musicians seemed to become a group that was advocating for the fish or advocating against extinction. So I guess one can feel that it's more powerful than simply a personal reflection because it Perhaps brings the strength of collaboration and the strength of the group as an approach. Yeah, as well. that's
2: interesting. I mean, I think it's very different live as an experience compared to the recording, which is how you know most people, of course, will will encounter yes. it. One thing that yes. really moved me um, earlier this year, the piece was played by the Riot Ensemble in London. And Tim Rutherford Johnson, who wrote the CD liner notes and Oats, knows it extremely well, said to me afterwards that he was astonished at how different the piece was as an experience live, that he felt he didn't know the piece at all, even though he had absolutely analysed it. And that for me really speaks to what I think music is. Is and can do. For me, music is really this live experience. I know we yeah. experience music so much in recorded format, in our headphones, you know, crappy computers, mm.
1: speakers and all. Absolutely, yeah, interesting. And so just watching the work, it seemed to me that there was an extraordinary collaboration on the part of the performers. So uh, as I said, when we were talking about Atlas of the Sky, for me, collaborative work evokes a type of new musical language and certainly collaborations have been very important to you in your compositional work. I mean, the language of collaborative work is really developed, of course, by the stories of the people we work with. I know that the work I've done in Japan or South Africa and the stories that I've heard from so many people and how we shaped that language together has also really pushed me into a new musical direction. I wouldn't say it's a a new contemporary language, but it seems to be a new language of participatory music, which is somehow shaping subconsciously when I write for um, various contexts in contemporary field, somehow the stories of the people I have worked with stay with me. And I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah. I
2: mean, collaboration, I think, has been really at the centre of my work um, from the beginning. I've always sort of experienced music as something that's really co-emergent. You know, the music doesn't just come from me, it comes from performers, it comes from the context, it comes from the presence of whoever's in the space. Uh, And I'm always looking for that kind of unexpected story, the unexpected sort of secret, you know, little bit of knowledge that a performer might bring or something that might tell me that, you know, um, that then sparks further further development in the work and I really see my work as kind of weaving in uh, these these sort of energies and stories whenever I work closely with musicians that will generally result in much stronger work a sense that there's a sort of co-ownership there of the of the project which is really important to me I find it really hard sort of writing sort in some kind of abstract, cold-blooded way for groups or musicians who I don't know. Um, in a way, I feel that um, I'm very transparent as an artist. I really need those kinds of energies in order to, to generate um, mm.
1: ideas in in the work that I do. Well, I, it's very inspiring, Lisa, to to then be able to hear your works and to imagine the stories behind them. And I know that we've shared stories that we've, you know, heard from performers and people that we've collaborated with. And they're always stories that are, in you know, intensely gripping in a very personal way. And um, I just wondered if you'd like to share one of those stories, maybe from Atlas of the Sky. OK.
2: Um, yes, I mean, there, there are different kinds of stories. There are ones which are not even told through language, but they're just... The way in which um, some random or even um, um, it's, it, it may be a gesture—it's a sort of certain moment uh, where something becomes clear in performance. It's very, very sort of subtle, ephemeral thing where suddenly everything shifts and becomes possible. Um, so there's that kind of magic that's happening all the time in rehearsal space. Mm. But then there's also those kind of life stories which are so lovely and with Atlas of the Sky, um, you know, working with a whole range of people from school kids to um, just people who've just, decided they want to join a project they've never been on stage they have no musical background but for some reason they've got this dream that they want to join a project like this I've got so many very touching letters actually after the production for instance from someone who said I've been um, a lawyer I've been working in the office all my life um, and actually you know, deciding to be involved in a project like this has transformed how I think about what's possible for me as a person yes. and that yes. I will embrace risk and change more, um, you know, more directly. And I thought, wow, that's extraordinary. That's First of all, that someone can articulate that and then want to share that. So that, those kinds of stories are very precious and beautiful.
1: Yes. Yeah, go on. Uh, I was just going to say, as well as the personal, there are the stories that involve groups and communities and their relations. There are stories of healing and focusing on the educational as well as social or advocacy and also the artistic, of course. There are so many different narratives. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, you don't know what will come
2: up. I mean, this is the alchemical aspect of, um, Mm. you know, being involved
1: in in co-creating something. you don't, and it's... It's so extreme, it's so surprising what comes up.
2: Yeah, um, there was just, just one lovely point um, and it shows how people involved in productions, and we know this, you know, from opera projects and theatre projects, how everyone just sort of becomes a big family. But uh, in, the, yeah. in the green room just before going on for the performance there was a bit of a discussion about, oh, what are we going to do to celebrate after the, after the show and so there's discussion okay we'll go down to this bar down you know down the road to celebrate and because there are a couple of high school kids who are underage they wouldn't be allowed into the bar without having parents there um we didn't want to leave them leave them out of course and immediately um one of the the um Actually, one of my students involved in the production, you know, this young man, all of 21, immediately piped up and said to the teenagers, oh, I'll be your dad. And that mm. was just an extraordinary moment of, wow, you know, this young man's yeah. just, just going to step into that role. And I love the way in which these projects make these these different sort of territories, these different life territories and emotional territories somehow
1: Available and possible, and they take away borders and make going into new territories possible, which is wonderful to experience. And that's the transformative
2: aspect of um, making art that is that is just so incredibly
1: rewarding. I think so too, and I think it's important to give participants access to tools that can make this world available to them. And I think you are very aware of this in the instruments you give participants, for example, or the roles that you help them create, uh, to put in another way. Something that I am passionate about, too, is the design of such projects uh, whereby you relinquish authorships to, to a certain extent or you support or empower people through various interdisciplinary Art forms to um, to take on new roles, as the lawyer you mentioned wrote to you of his experiences in your piece. Um, people will often transcend their own situations or or leanings so that that transformative power is important. and um, and another thing is that for the viewer, a participatory type of art form is a new type of art form in a way in a sense. I really like, yeah. Sorry, Kathy. That was me. (laughs) No, I was going to
2: say I really like the way in which you use the word tool because I think, uh, again, one often thinks of tools as as sort of, you know, highly technical, but I think in this work... Mm -hmm. Tools might be things like vulnerability they might be things like precarity there might be things like just this kind of focused attentiveness yes. uh, that these are tools which, which you know can have very strong effects mm. uh, and it's very inspiring to see the work you're doing in seeing this, this absolutely sort of reparative function and reparative kind of work that's, that is
1: also part of these types of projects mm thank you for touching on the word tools there of course that is absolutely what i meant and yes i tend to think of them as permissions to enter uh, permissions to discuss um, as trust permission to create and and so thank you for elaborating on that which you did so beautifully and thank you for all your wonderful compositions that keep taking us beyond boundaries and beyond borders encapsulated of course in your wonderful title mary transcendence after trauma i I know it wasn't meant for now but it does take on a different meaning if we consider the the now now and what we are experiencing in berlin and melbourne in 2020 so is there anything you would like to finish up with or or a parting word i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well i'd like to say thank you for 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 this wonderful discussion and um wishing everyone who listens to it you know, a very beautiful and courageous time onward into the now, now, now. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Kathy.